0: This podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast where we talk about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement. I'm Marianne Matzo, a nurse practitioner, and I use my experience from working as a nurse for 44 years to help answer your questions about what happens at the end of life.
0: And I'm Charlie Navarette, an actor in New York City, here reminding you to have all your legal documents prepared while you have a say in the matter. You don't want to be caught dead without them.
1: So, please relax and get yourself something to eat. And thank you for spending the next hour with Charlie and me as we talk about being alone at the end of life. In the first half, Charlie talks about an 800-year-old society that buries the dead. I have the recipe of the week. In the second half, I'll be talking about keeping vigil with people who are dying and in our third half, Charlie talks about flash mobs. da, da, da. So our recipe this week is a smoked mm. salmon dip that really is to die for. This dip combines smoked salmon, spicy horseradish, bright lemon, mm. and mm. finely chopped dill with cream cheese. Now, you put anything with cream cheese and you're just fine in my book. And Greek yogurt for the creamiest, most savory dip imaginable. So you can serve it with a bagel. You could set it up with a variety of crackers and veggies for the most satisfying dip at your upcoming funeral lunch. And that sounds good.
0: It does sound good.
1: And they could serve it with everything bagels.
0: When you say everything bagels, like T-shirts and stuff? Or or you mean like an everything bagel?
1: An everything bagel, like in um, everything all at once. All the time, around the world.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you little cinephile! You Uh, could could you could you (laughs) could you possibly be speaking to the uh, Academy Award, (laughs) multi Academy Award nominated film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, featuring the wonderful Michelle Yao
1: and Jamie Lee Curtis. In yes. Her most sensual role yet.
0: I wouldn't call that sensual, but she is pretty damn good in it. Yes.
1: I just love the attention to detail in that film.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, but yeah. I digress. But it has a bagel uh-huh. in it and yes. everything. Ye-
0: yes, it does. A bagel figures prominently from actually eating one to uh, what's her name's hairdo. So, mm-hmm. yes. All right. Very so,
1: good. In, in honor of that film, we have smoked salmon dip.
0: Okay. Yes, we do. We now have the 16th century essayist, Michel de Montaigne, who wrote, If you don't know how to die, don't worry. Nature will tell you what to do on the spot, fully and adequately. Yes. While we don't need to learn the biological mechanics of dying to die, It does help to know them in facing death. Marianne is going to talk about not dying alone, but I want to start with not being buried alone. We have talked about the Arlington Ladies in a previous show, where military spouses started a program to witness the burials of those without families being buried at Arlington National Cemetery. In France, a brotherhood that is over 800 years old continues to assist at burials, particularly of those who cannot afford the burial costs. The Charitable Brothers of Saint-Éloi are of common sight in the northern French town of Bethune. They ensure that everyone in the area receives a proper burial. The fraternity has up to 40 members, and it typically provides their service at 300 funerals a year. The members of the fraternity are all local men, aged between 40 and 80. They dress in traditional bicorn hats, wear white gloves, and have black capes. During the burials, they stand over the grave. They remove their hats, say, Rest in peace, in unison, and bow their heads. According to legend, the fraternity was formed in 1188 during a plague. Two blacksmiths had an apparition of Saint-Louis, whom Christians believe is a protector of metal workers and other craft workers. He ordered the two men to start a brotherhood to bury the dead. Typically, during plagues, many people were denied a proper funeral. The deceased would be unceremoniously dumped into mass graves known as plague pits. From the 12th century, the brothers have assisted at burials. In the past, to protect themselves from becoming infected, the fraternity members often carried plants, with antiseptic properties which were believed to keep them safe. All the members are committed to their roles, and they regard it as a sacred duty. They believe that just as a sick person has a right to be cared for, the dead person has a right to this treatment.
1: Wow. That's pretty cool.
0: It pre- is pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Other yeah, than the
1: it, Arlington ladies, I don't think we have anything like this in the U.S., do we?
0: No, I... I <laughs> yeah. And I have to be I didn't really look it up very much. But yeah, I mean the only thing I, I, I found that i don't even sure it's really that related, is um oh poo, what is it called, Marianne? Um, um I don't
1: know, Charlie. What is it called?
0: Oh, come on. Where um the indigent are buried in unmarked graves. Marianne, okay, um, um it's like wonderful- the potter's field? Thank you. Jeez. <clears throat> potter's field. But, you know, but, but there's, I mean, but this, this has some class. You know, it's got a long yeah. history. And uh, yes, very nice. Very nice.
1: I think one of our listeners should just go and start one of these, I think.
0: Yes, I think so. Excellent. Please go to our webpage for the recipe for smoked salmon dip and additional resources for this program. We ask for your support in the form of a tax-deductible contribution, so that we can continue to offer you quality programming. Thank you in advance for going to our website to make your donation, as well as following us on Facebook and Instagram. Visit us at www.everyonedies.org. That's every the number one dies dot org. Marianne.
1: Thanks, Charlie. So. Not everyone goes to their deathbed surrounded by loved ones. Sometimes they're completely alone. Mm -hmm. I have a firm belief that friends don't let friends die alone. Not that it's easy and not that it's on anyone's to-do list, but because death is a sacred passing and taking the time to honor this and hold a person's hand while they die is a phenomenal gift. There are many people who want to be in the room to witness the miracle of childbirth so it should be with people during the miracle of death. Now, there are volunteer programs that you can participate in that you can join through your local hospice or national organizations, and we'll give you those links in the show notes. When I worked in hospice, we called ours the vigil team. Now, there's something called the No One Dies Alone movement. It's The acronym is NODA, No One Dies Alone, that was started by a nurse. And the story is that she was checking on an elder man when she was working as a nurse, and he was near death. And he said, will you stay with me? And she said, of course. Um, As soon as I check on my other patients, I'll be back. Um, But tending to others takes some time, and so it took about an hour and a half before she was able to get back to the man's room. And when she got back, he was dead. She was really troubled, and she felt that she'd failed, not just as a nurse, but as a human being. She thought, you know, it it was okay for him to die. It was his time, but it was not okay for him to die alone. So the nurse, whose name is Sandra Clark, said, I was overcome with guilt and frustration, and I didn't know what to do. I just knew something had to be done. And with that, she started NODA, No One Dies Alone and almost single-handedly, has really been radicalizing end-of-life care in hospitals by making volunteers available to comfort dying patients in their final hours. The program enlists hospital employees from any department. They can be kitchen workers or carpenters or medical transcriptionists, maintenance people. It doesn't matter. To sit with dying patients who are on their own. And especially in hospitals, I mean, even before and since COVID, there would be so many times that you'd have a patient who was actively dying, and you'd, as a nurse, you'd want to be in there with them, but you had eight, ten other patients that, you know, you had to go be with, and you you couldn't always be there just to be with them. And so programs like this make sure that there's a group of people that are available. Although many dying patients have family or friends available, a significant number don't. And what Clark calls them is elder orphans, who are people who are geographically or emotionally distant relatives and not able to be present. And a lot of times as I've worked with older people, is like you say, oh, he's such a sweet old guy. How come his family doesn't ever come to be with him? How come there's nobody here? And what we don't know is all those years before of what happened or didn't happen that makes it so that family members don't want to be there even though they're at the end of their life. So learn, we've learned, I've learned anyway not to to judge that because I don't know what all the other stuff has happened all along the way. But they're at that point in their vulnerability and being at the end of life, in my head, they at least still need to have somebody who can be with them. So notice compassionate companions, um, as the volunteers are called, sit beside the dying, hold a hand, stroke an arm. Some talk or read out loud, everything from essays in Chicken Soup for the Soul to articles in Field and Stream. They play music, um, and it depends on the kind of music that the person would like. It probably could get pretty loud. Um, All of these vigils are different. Um, One volunteer talked about at 3 in the morning singing Gilbert and Sullivan operatas, because that's what the patient wanted. Another volunteer traded fishing stories with a 96-year-old man during the last hours of his life. So whatever the volunteers do in these hours, they offer the most valuable gift, a dignified death. In return, they sometimes experience something that's very profound. One volunteer who had has participated in like two dozen vigils and actually been with six people who, at the moment of their death, remembers um, sitting in a chair by one woman's bedside listening to her labored end-of-life breathing. I told her there were friends waiting for her on the other side. I told her to relax. And I think she did. I think I helped. And he, he went on to say, you have no idea what that means to me. Another volunteer recalls being able to calm down an agitated patient after a while, she seemed to fall asleep and slip into a coma. Then at one point, she opened her eyes, looked at me, and said, Thank you, Vicky." Four minutes later, the patient was dead. To know that I can help bring a moment of peace like that is everything. But even if you don't volunteer to be at the side of the dying, you can ensure that people in your circle don't die alone. With well, the loved one, there may be things that you want to say and may not have said until they're in their last hours of living, and that's okay. We assume that people can hear us until the very end. Being with someone at the end of life may be stressful for the family and the loved one, but it's something that you don't want to miss in terms of the opportunity to be able to say the final things to them. And Iar Byrock always talks about the important things to be communicated between the dying and their loved ones, and they are, please forgive me, I forgive you, thank you, I love you, and we'll be all right. Five things that you want to be able to say to somebody at the end of life. Sometimes the people involved don't want to talk, and there certainly be times when there really is nothing that needs to be said. It often surprises people that people who are at the end of life who are dying don't really want to talk about what's happening to them. Sharing thoughts and feelings at this time could be therapeutic and healing for everybody, but sometimes people just don't want to. Also, your loved one may not want to have somebody with them when they die. And I can't tell you, Charlie, how many times this happens. And it happens so frequently that I don't think it's an accident. I think it's something that the person who's dying says, I don't want my daughter to see this. I don't want my son to see this. I don't, whatever it is. And they wait for those five minutes that they walk out to the nurse's station to do something. And they come back in and their mom or their dad has died. And I've seen family members get so upset that they've missed that last moment. But, you know, that seems to be what the person wanted. And really, don't, don't feel guilty about that, that you missed that last breath. Trust me, they they chose that because, and, and I don't know why, but maybe to save you from seeing them take that last breath. The only skill you need to be with a person at at the end is the willingness to do so. Lead with your heart and don't be afraid to express your love. Turn off your phone so that you're not distracted and just focus on being with them. This is the best way to show your love. Be gentle in physical contact because for some people that could be painful. So you can just sit with them and gently hold their hand. You can keep talking right until the end even if they appear unconscious. They may still be able to hear you, or you can just let the silence be there. I've been with a lot of people at the end of their life with my work, and I'll tell you there are no two deaths that are alike. Being with someone when they die can be a very spiritual experience for you. Uh, There's something about that feeling in the atmosphere after someone stops breathing. It could be a hollow feeling that life and essence of the person is now gone, and it can feel like, Only an empty shell has been left behind. There's no right or wrong way to feel when you're with someone during their death. When the moment of death happens, it can be very quick and sudden. It's impossible to predict the exact moment when it's going to happen. So you're there, holding their their hand. You can chat if you want to, tell stories, sing, or quietly be present to the miracle of death. Many people are very quiet during their death, and you might not even notice that their hour of death has come and gone. That's okay. When all is said and done, you will know that you've done all you can do in their last moments, that you showed up, and they did not die alone. Any thoughts about
0: that, Charles? No. uh, you, No, you, you covered it very well. No, I've, no, I don't mean to be flippant, but no, you, yeah, no, you got it. Okay. It's very clear. Good.
1: (sighs) And now, as they say, for something completely different, is our third half. (laughs) (laughs) Because how long can we be extremely serious?
0: Not long, I hope. And with that in mind, The BBC reported on a flash mob dance at a Bristol funeral. A flash mob is defined by Webster's New Millennium Dictionary of English as a group of people who organize on the Internet and then quickly assemble in a public place, do something bizarre and disperse. Flash mobs got their start on June 3, 2003. On that day, more than 130 people showed up in the ninth floor rug department of Macy's department store in New York City. When asked what they were doing, the people told salespeople they were shopping for a rug as a group. Flash mobs were invented as a fun social experiment meant to encourage spontaneity in large groups of people to take over public areas temporarily just to show it could be done. So, back to Bristol. Sandy Wood, 65, from Bristol, died of tongue cancer on September 19, 2022, and was one of tens of thousands of people that contracted hepatitis C in the 1970s and 80s after being given infected blood. Sandy broke tradition by planning her funeral with hidden surprises, which included a flash mob dance to Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. The hired dancers sat through half of the funeral with coats covering their costumes until the music started. She was one of a kind, so she left the world how she lived it, said her best friend, Sam Riles.
1: Isn't that ever, cool?
0: That is very cool, yes. Have Have you ever uh, witnessed a, a flab? Uh, flab? A flash mob? <laughs> uh, a flash mob? Uh, a flash mob?
1: I, I looked at a flab mob every morning yeah. when I get dressed, but...
0: Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw one in but Grand no, I, Central I, I li- Station, I, yeah
1: I live I live out in the woods So a flash mob out here would be like The fish jumping in the lake or something okay. Have you seen one?
0: Yes, in um, Grand Central Station um, It was very, very cool I'm surprised the cops didn't move in and throw everyone out But they did, they were um, I had I don't know how many, it wasn't like in the hundreds or anything like that, but it was a lot of people. And I don't remember the song, but they just suddenly broke out. It it was very, very cool. It was just very
2: spontaneous.
0: (laughs) And because it's New York, people are like looking around like, oh my God, what's happening? This is like, you know, as if it were some crisis about to happen um, instead of some joyful experience. But it, it 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 was very cool. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, did
1: you go jo- go join in? <laughs>
0: yeah, no, um, no, not at all. No, I mean, you because know, no, people plan this all in advance and they practice it. Versus so some for for so for oh. some schmo just to suddenly walk in. No, nah, it's not going to work because yeah, people have a dance routine, movements, everything set up before. Uh,
1: oh, yeah, before. I see. Yeah, so it's not completely spontaneous like shopping for a rug at Macy's.
0: It's spontaneous because no one expects it. Ah. But even with the, um, no, with the rug thing, I, I, they had to have practiced. It's other, otherwise, it's just a melee. Yeah, but if you, I
1: think, I think with the first one, they literally just showed up in the huge, you know, hundred thirty people, and they just mm-hmm. stood they just around in the rug well, department. Yeah. And, okay. right. yeah, I don't think this was. I don't think it started out as a dance, but it's, I think, evolved to. People doing dance routines, right? Yeah. If
0: if people just search, you know, um, flash mobs, um, you will see lots of examples of people just suddenly breaking out into song and dance. Um, But not
1: at funerals. So we need to, you know, bring this across the pond and get it into our lives.
0: Um, that's true. And if, uh, you know, just recently we spoke about uh, Shotzi Weisberger and uh, how she, you know, had, you know, left, uh, you know, her, her life, wishes of how she wanted to die and everything like that. Well, it's the same thing, too. If you want a flash mob at your funeral, you know, get your friends together and um, and there you are. Suddenly people break <laughs> onto a flash mob.
1: And I love, you know, the song, Another One Bites the Dust. And so we have a link, actually, to the, the dance at, oh. at um, Sandy's funeral, so you guys can click on that and watch it if you'd like.
0: Very cool. Yeah. And with that, please stay tuned for the continuing saga of Everyone Dies, and thank you for listening. This is Charlie Navarrete, and here's a poem by Emily Dickinson called Going to Heaven going to heaven. I don't know when. Pray do not ask me how. Indeed, I'm too astonished to think of answering you, going to heaven. How dim it sounds. And yet it will be done as sure as flocks go home at night unto the shepherd's arm. Perhaps you're going too. Who knows? If you should get there first, save just a little place for me, close close to the two I lost. The smallest robe will fit me, and just a bit of crown. For you know, we do not mind our dress when we are going home. I'm glad I don't believe it, for it would stop my breath, and I'd like to look a little more at such a curious earth. I am glad they did believe it, whom I have never found since that mighty autumn afternoon I left them in the ground.
2: Mm.
1: And on that, we'll see you next week. Remember, every day is a gift.
2: This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion, are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.